L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor, filling in for your host, Michael the Podpina. I'm Rohan Nakarni. Uh, I'm joined today by my SI colleague, Jeremy Wu. Uh, unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties recording this episode. Uh, we were able to save most of it, though, so we're going to jump right into my mailbag with Jeremy Wu. Uh, we'll have to have him on again to do our rookie preview uh, but for today, please enjoy this mailback episode uh, with Jeremy Wu, and we'll be back with you guys on Monday. We're going to get to the emails, but I'm going to really put you on the spot right now and ask you an incredibly annoying question that I'm sure you're going to be mad at me at. And after the podcast, you're going to be like, why didn't you tell me you're going to ask me this? But if you really had to, I'm going to give you the same scenario I gave Josh Gondelman a couple weeks ago, Okay. You have depleted all your savings and you're in massive gambling debt. You come into a lot of money, but you make another bet and now you're even deeper into debt and you have one last chance to win it all back. And you have to bet on which of the top three picks has the best career. Paolo, Chet, or Jabari. You know, your entire family's life depends on this. Um, Which of the three are you picking? How are we judging best career? Who's going to make the most all-star games? Let's say that. Or we know we know who has the best career. I mean, I don't know. We Let's just use the all-star thing or like, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, we, I mean, we, the all-star thing is like a different argument. Right, but, sure. Um, who's going to like have the most impact and lead their team to the most deep playoff runs? And who in five years will we have the highest expectations for? Yeah, I mean, I still think it's going to be Jabari. Like, I haven't really changed my attitude mm-hmm. on this, so this isn't really a hard question for me. Just, just because I, and again, I don't, I don't know how much of this at some point becomes my own uh, bias. But um, you know, I was actually encouraged by watching him play at summer league. Like, I know he didn't mm-hmm. shoot well, um, and the people who are you know naysayers with him are going to you know, say what they're going to say. But 
Uh, I mean, he was honestly, I thought he was arguably the best defensive player all of summer league. And he's 18, like, or I guess just turned 19 recently. Right. Like we have to factor in like this dude has never been older than his competition ever. Um, you know, now he's at this level, he's going to be able to grow into it. Um, I mean, he's a whole year younger than Chet. He's like eight or seven months younger than Paolo. Um, you know, certainly the, you know, skill package of that Paolo has in terms of being able to attack off the dribble and pass and all that stuff. Like Jabari doesn't have that and he may not get it. Um, but like the, you know, I've also said this before, but like the, um, kind of point I've been making is like, I think it's going to be similar to the, uh, you know, Brandon Ingram, Ben Simmons debate that we had all those years ago. Um, you know, I had Brandon Ingram ranked one, uh, that year. That was one of my first years really covering the draft. And, um, you know, it was easy to look at what Simmons could do. And, you know, he's such a physical player and, you know, it was very easy to say like what he'd be, uh, but there were also questions as to like why he wouldn't necessarily hit the ceiling. Right. And now here we are and it's 2022. And I think it's pretty clear Brandon Ingram is the more valuable player of the two. Um, so, uh, you know, but you gotta have patience with these things and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm hopeful the situation in Houston, I'm a little worried cause it's, the ball is, might be a little bit sticky there with Jalen Green and Kevin Porter and all these guys who are kind of, you know, guys who are scorers by nature. But, like, you know, I think there will be a pretty big push organizationally to make sure Jabari gets involved. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, that guy could shoot, you know, he, basically he could be the best stretch big in the NBA, frankly. Uh, if he can switch every everything and knock down open shots. And, uh, again, I do think he's going to add to his game. He really cares. He works, like. Um, you know, my thing with Paolo was always just like, you, you know, I, it's very easy to see what he can do and appreciate that, but just like, uh, you know, athletically, you know, I don't, he's not like an upper, upper echelon NBA athlete in terms of like explosiveness and getting separation and, you know, it's a lot of tough buckets and it's, it's just tough to like make a living that way to a certain point mm-hmm. in the NBA because it doesn't get easier. Right. So, um, uh, I think Jabari, has a really high floor just because even if he doesn't add that stuff, he's going to shoot and defend. And um, you know, he doesn't come with, I mean, maybe this is a flawed concept, but like, you know, I just, I always felt he was a little bit safer than Chet just because mm-hmm. uh, I trusted Jabari's shooting a little bit more, you know, Chet shot it great at summer league. So, you know, if Chet's really going to shoot it like that, it changes things a little bit, but um, you know, Jabari is still the guy who I would, you know, I would do it again. I'd put my chips on him. Mm-hmm. I like it. Uh, let's move into some emails. I want to start with this one from Elliot Gold because I Michael Pina saw this email in the mailbag and read it out loud to me with such disdain in his voice. Um, and I can't repeat the words he said uh, in answer to this email on this podcast because this is a family show. Woo, I'm going to ask you this question because you're constantly slandering one of these people in our group chat. I think mostly just to make Mike angry. But Elliot <laughs> writes in, no subject. This is the entire email. Tatum for Katie straight up. Who says no? <laughs> uh, who says no? I mean, I, I think Boston has to say no. Yeah, right? I think Boston has to say no there. Yeah. As but much I like as where like, your mind is yeah. at, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Pina was very upset with that one. He told me the fake trade that he would he would offer for the Celtics if he were Brad Stevens, but I'm going to, I'm going to let him keep that one in his back pocket for when he's ready to share about it. But needless to say, it was delusional just as his vote for Marcus Smart for defensive player of the year. 
Uh, let's get to another email. This one comes in from David McCullough. David writes in, hey, Rohan, Shelby, and whoever else shows up. Well, David, today we got uh, Jeremy Wu. Uh, he says, one of my favorite things about Open Floor is the clear love and respect the hosts and producers share for each other. Aside from Michael and Chris's begrudgingly understandable absences. David, just to let you know, Shelby does not love and respect me. He merely tolerates me. Uh, David writes in, with that in mind, what are some of your favorite NBA bromances? I mean, the strong personal bonds between specific NBA people that shape the league in subtle or not so subtle ways. This question was inspired by hearing DeMar DeRozan and Coach Pop lavish praise on each other several months ago when it was clear DeRozan's time in San Antonio helped him grow as a player. Uh, there are also some questionable bromances, like what is going on in KD and Kyrie, even if they aren't closest friends now, their connection continues to reshape the Brooklyn Nets for better or worse. Uh, Woo, who comes to mind for you? Who are some of your favorite NBA bromances? Yeah. Um, you know, when I hear this question, I always, I always veer towards the like semi-obscure, like mm-hmm. LeBron and Dwayne Wade, like whatever. Yeah. Sorry, we get guys. Yeah. We know they shaped the NBA, but no, I mean like. The uh, Tobias Harris Boban one was always really great. Um, I always appreciated the uh, the Stephen Adams and Ennis Cantor one. That was, that was a good one. That, that was, was a, actually that was a good funny one. because that was back when Ennis Cantor was funny. Yeah, that I don't know if Ennis Cantor was ever funny. He was well, to me. He was like a used car salesman version of Embiid. But it was back when it was back when Ennis Cantor was innocent. I guess. Yeah, it was in, a, it in was the public that, eye. Yeah, it was a shtick that I was I thought was entertaining. Yeah. Uh, but also, I just think Stephen Adams is great. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I was I like the um, when um, who's I think it was like the Tim Duncan like Jersey retirement or whatever ceremony or whatever and you had like. Or maybe I don't remember all these all those Spurs guys like the Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, uh-huh. Manu. Like I don't remember whose jersey retirement it was, but I remember like streaming some of it, and it was like you could just tell they were getting like all fuzzy mm-hmm. with each other. And I was like, oh, that's a good one. Like those guys, I thought uh, it was always kind of cute. Yes, the Spurs big three. Yeah, the Spurs big three friendship. had a really good one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also, Boris Diaw and anybody. Yes, <laughs> all the French guys. All the Diaw. French guys. Yeah. Uh, that's um, I don't know. That's like up the top of my head. Those are some really good ones. I'll throw some more out there. Uh, Darius Miles and Quentin Richardson, who host a podcast together now, the Knuckleheads. Um, that like I love that they're so friends. That was such an exciting time, especially if you were playing basketball video games to use the Clippers. Uh, and it's a real shame to me that that team didn't work out. And it it genuinely warms my heart that Darius Smile and Quentin Schutzen are still friends. I believe one of them crashed like Alonzo Mourning's jet ski. That's like a good <laughs> po- a good anecdote that's come out of like their new podcast together. So that's a really good one. What about uh, Marcus and Markeith Morris? <laughs> I don't. Um, uh, Brooke and Robin Lopez. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Actual brothers. Very funny, Jeremy. Uh, I want to throw Udonis and Dwayne Wade on there. A true partnership. Udonis is the enforcer, willing to take all the flagrant fouls for D Wade. D Wade paying a bunch of his fines. They're still friends. Udonis Haslam, the uh, the godfather to Dwayne Wade's youngest child, Kav. I love that stuff. I live for you know the players getting involved with each other's family. I think Kyle Lowry is uh, the godfather to Jimmy Butler's daughter. So I got to throw that one in there. Uh, T J McConnell once told me that. Uh, his like closest friend on the team was Jimmy Butler. 
uh, the year Jimmy was in Philly. So I'm going to throw that one on there only because it really surprised me. I was not expecting um, Jimmy Butler and TJ McConnell. But I feel like in retrospect now, it's kind of like up Jimmy's alley to be friends with the most obscure player on his own team. Um, There are a lot of good NBA bromances, though. I really like this question. I'm trying to think of some more 90s ones, but... Like with social media and stuff, we don't we don't really have the insight on what the true bromances were back in the day, you know? Yeah, no, I mean you'd have to do some some book research, I think, and uh, <laughs> to to find that out. And that's a good uh, Chris Herring question. It is a good Chris Herring question. We'll have to bring him on and ask John him like Starks. To... And, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> uh, I wanted to say, oh man, I want to know who on the. 09 Magic were friends because I love that team. Like, who was Hito Turkaloo's uh, oh. <laughs> bro? Uh, I don't know, but I, <laughs> I just thought of a good one. The uh, genuinely, the uh, Joakim Noah, Derek Rose one is great. Mm. Those guys are like great, great friends, I think, to this day. Um, and I say that since you got to talk about the Heat, I have to say that. There we go. I yeah. would love to hang out with Joakim Noah, he seems like one of the most fun. NBA stars of all time. Yeah. Uh, This next email comes in, and this is also from David. So, David, you're getting a a doubled up today, but this I'm bringing this question up because I I feel like I'm ignorant to this. And, Jeremy, maybe you know some more about this. David writes, and once again, dear Open Floor leadership team, I also like the evolution of his emails as we continue to cycle in and out hosts. But he says, I've just encountered a joy bomb in the form of the Cleveland Cavaliers 1975 theme song, Gotta Make It Happen. I'm a Cavs fan and obsessive vinyl collector, so I immediately bought the 45 for a mere $30. (laughs) Uh, This is the steal for the happiness it will bring me. Uh, He even came across an SI story from 2013 that lists the five cheesiest NBA theme songs. So he asks, any favorite NBA theme songs uh, and any ideas for modern ones? I, did you? When, is this a thing? Do teams have theme songs? Yeah, I mean the only one I know of is the um, the Bulls had one, and I I remember this because when I was growing up, um, you know, I went to a couple games like in the post Jordan years, like the really really dark ages of the Bulls, and it was <laughs> they were still using it. Like I don't know if it was used before that, but it's like only the Bulls. I think it's on YouTube. You can find it. I'll find the link for you. Uh, and I remember how it goes, uh, but it's like the only theme song I can think of. It's like only the Bulls, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh. <laughs> it's like a whole. It's it's honestly pretty funny to. Uh, well, it was I guess it was even funnier because I I actually distinctly remember this my first Bulls game as a kid. I think it was like 2001 or 2002. So you're in there and they're playing it on the scoreboard, and I'm sitting in there watching, and I'm a kid, and it's like. Oh, here's Marcus Pfizer dunking. Like, yeah, sorry. Like, I wish I was born like six years earlier. Uh, <laughs> but I got Marcus Pfizer and, you know, no, no, not to slander Ron Mercer and Marcus Pfizer and Eddie Robinson. But uh, that was the team that I got when I was eight. So, um. what? I know the Heat, the Heat used to play the Heat is, I mean, they still play the Heat is on after wins, but I don't know if you could call it a theme song. I mean, the obviously the song you associate even more with the Bulls is "Serious" uh, by the Alan Parsons Project. You know what I mean? But I wouldn't call. Yeah, I guess that, that is. But I don't know that it's their theme song. It's like yeah, their it's intro not music. Like, it's not like a bespoke 
theme exactly. for the team. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, the smoke. Yeah. yeah. It's not like the Dolphins have, you know, they have their theme song that their owner tried to ruin too with the Jimmy Buffett one. I really just wanted to say bespoke. Uh, yeah, no, that was a good use of bespoke. It's a very fancy I, uh, term. You know, even the Lakers, I, I I guess they play, you know, I mean, there's so many songs about Los Angeles that you can play at all times. Um, mm. Are you surprised more teams don't have, like, why can't, why hasn't Rick Ross come up with a theme song for the Miami Heat? You know what I mean? Why hasn't Kendrick Lamar come up with a Lakers theme song? Like, why, what are we doing here? Like, why are mm. there not more... You know, how do we get that trend going, Woo? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's a fair question. I think uh, the uh, main theme song, and when you told me this, the the main one that came to mind was the uh, legendary Scott Stapp, Florida Marlins uh, collaboration, <laughs> which I'm sure you know well. I'm sure you sing it to yourself in your sleep. Uh, come on, Marlins, make us proud. <laughs> I... <laughs> How how the Marlins got a theme song? Um, hey, Scott Staff was available. Okay, like I'm sure I'm sure that I'm sure that he could get him if they wanted. Uh, did you <laughs> do you do you think the Bulls should make their theme song more prominent? Do you think only the Bulls should be like should it be more front and center, or, or do you like that it's this obscure thing in the background? They they, they might have brought it back. I would have to look it up. Um, I feel like they might have brought it back. Oh yeah, here we go. I guess in 2014 they brought it back with uh, Fallout Boy and Lupe Fiasco, according to YouTube, which sounds like oh, something I'm not no. sounds like a, something I'm not gonna watch, but I'll watch this later. What an like um, uncomfortably 2000s occurrence. Like let's yeah. get Fallout Boy. Well, that's, and Lupe that's Fiasco. the dark side. That's the dark side of like, oh, here's two locally local artists who are gonna get to do a cool version of this for the kids, and it's like it's 2014. The kids don't like Fallout Boy and Lupe anymore. <laughs> I guess maybe they do. Lupe's new album was good, actually. There we go. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. The Nikki Glazer Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer Podcast. To start listening. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 
Let's move on to another email that I think was like engineered in a lab to make Draymond Green angry because the subject is literally era comparison. Um, and I do love answering questions like this, and I think we've done this uh, to a degree on this show before. But this one comes down to one player who I think is really worth discussing here. This is David Kowalski writes in, longtime listener, first-time caller. A question about recent discussions about players in the wrong era. Uh, David writes in, if Shaq came out in 2022, is he drafted high? I can hear the critics. Can't shoot threes or free throws. Clogs the lane. Can't guard in a pick and roll. How much of a chance would he get in today's game? Uh, David goes on to ask about some other players who are maybe uh, ahead or behind their time who we can get to. But I wanted to ask you, Wu, about Shaq because I love the draft angle of this. Um, what? How would the NBA handle a prospect like Shaq, you think? This seven-footer. I mean, you have to remember at the time when Shaq came out of the draft, I mean, he was a lot more athletic than even when he was by the time he got to the Lakers when he was still obviously incredibly dominant physically. I mean, he was putting the best defensive centers uh, on their backs. How would you like? How do you even begin to conceptualize someone like Shaq coming out in today's draft landscape? Yeah, I mean that was the first point I was going to make. Um, you know, Shaq at you know whatever age he was, I guess twenty or twenty one or whatever. I don't know what the actually I have to look to see how old he was. But yeah, I mean Shaq at you know rookie year Shaq different different animal than uh, you know two thousand three Shaq and beyond, right? So um, I still think he'd be probably regarded very heavily just because that guy was so good uh, and so overpowering. And I don't know. I mean, it, these arguments are always difficult because do we want to assume like this player has access to, mm-hmm. you know, modern coaching and modern development and like, you know, knowing what we know now about how the NBA has played, like if Shaq came in the NBA right now, yeah, he'd be shooting threes. So at least they try. Right. So like, it's always a tricky argument. Um but at the end of the day, look, I think Shaq is is so good at um, what he does. I think you have to assume that, like, you know, if all things were equal, I mean, if if you look at you know the Embiid's uh, and Jokic's who have kind of like, you know, they're more conventional and they're not, you know, I, I guess it's it's tough because those guys are such unique mm-hmm. players. But I guess that's sort right. of when we're talking about the best players ever. That's often what it becomes, right? It's it's like this guy kind of breaks convention one way or the other. So like, you know, if we're talking about Shaq, I would think that you know if he had access to what players have access to now um yeah like a slimmer slimmer shack could easily be one of the dominant bigs in the nba just because again you're not really going to throw ball into the post that much now but you can still play through shack post ups right i mean he's still going to be able to overpower people right like think about how many like really skinny bigs in the nba would just have no chance uh it is really interesting to think about if you apply kind of the argument of Shaq with modern coaching do they try to turn him into like a rim runner athletic center type who is you know just running both ends of the floor super hard this is going to sound absurd and I'm already regretting saying this but do you try to make him like a supercharged version of DeAndre Ayton who uh, is just super athletic running from rim to rim maybe has a little bit of offensive flair uh, but you can still throw it into him in the post because I don't think even the most athletic version of Shaq 
could have the shooting touch that Jokic and Embiid have. Right, right. Uh, which is really what separates them because they're both incredible post players. Uh, Embiid obviously draws a ton of fouls, something Shaq would do. Uh, Jokic is, was, I think, one of the best post scorers in the league last year. I mean, he was. Uh, I just don't know if it was number one or top three. But, yeah, like what what they're also able to do is score in other ways or pass, playmake, etc. Shaq, I think was a really good passer and that's maybe an aspect of his game that would have been owned more. But I, I'm curious, like, do you see if you get a big man like that, that's, I mean, it's just so crazy now. Cause even like when Benyama was coming out next year, it's like the seven footer, but the whole thing is he can, you know, pass, shoot, dribble, etc. Are they even trying to make rim running centers anymore? Or are they all being taught to shoot a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know. I I think you try to get, see if everybody can shoot. Now it's kind of like here nor there. I mean, not everybody will. Um, but you know, I mean, even even if you look at this year's draft, I mean, you know, Jalen Duran and Mark Williams, uh, you know, two bigs who are you know picked in the top fifteen, and neither of them are really three point shooters. Um, still have value in other ways, right? And so, you know, it's always a nice plus, particularly. Um, you know, if you're not a super, you know, effective offensive player, like having that three, adding it, like, you know, the way Brooke Lopez kind of added that later in his career, uh, obviously he was a really good offensive player for a long time and the league changed and he changed with it. Right. So, um, it, it's always tricky. Um, I mean, there is like a home for these non-shooting centers, but like, who would you say is like the best non-shooting center in the NBA? Like Capella, like maybe you know three years ago when he. That's was a great question, by the way. Right. Who is like, the best non-shooting like he center kind of, in the NBA? You know, Clint peaked with Harden, you know, yeah. three or four years Bam, ago. Bam, probably. Yeah, I guess. I guess Bam, if we want to yeah. call him a center, which you and I have discussed before, like yeah, he probably falls in that bucket. Like he does so many other things that it matters. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's still definitely a a, a tricky a tricky thing sometimes to to play with that type of spacing and have to sort of scheme around it. Uh, I don't want this will derail this conversation because we'll literally talk about this for hours. I know it, and we've we've mentioned this a little bit before. But David does go on to ask who are some other players who would have been more or less successful if they played at different eras. He brings up how Boban would have had more value in the '90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. That's a great one. Tony Kukoc would be a god now. I think that's a great. Uh, mm-hmm. this was an interesting one. He says Jalil Okafor. 15 years too late. What do you think of, like, Jalil Okafor in 1994? Oh, yeah, 100%. He would have been great. He would have been great. And I say this is someone who extensively watched Jaleel Okafor's high school career, uh, like, way too much of him. Um, he would have been awesome. I mean, you know, the the at a young age, just his aptitude as a post-scorer was, like, unreal. And, um, you know, I mean, I... I had him ranked high in that draft and obviously the, he was still picked third. Right. So like there was still, uh, I think it was just not everyone then realized where the NBA was headed. Right. Um, like he was right. He really came along at like the exact wrong time. Cause like if, if he came around now, at least the expectations would be realistic and you know, you can try to figure it out, but like, uh, you know, 2000 and what was that? 15, 15. So, yeah, yeah. I, that was. So, I mean, that was like right as the NBA was really changing. Um, and it was before everybody knew exactly where it was going. So uh, he was, I think, really disadvantaged by, um, you know, that the timing of, of all that. Um, but, you know, at that, I mean, I still haven't really seen a like, teenager who could 
you know, score in the post the way he did. And, you know, obviously they won the title at Duke. So, it, you know, he accomplished things uh, through that. But, uh, yeah, sign of the times. Kind of crazy. It really is. And it makes me very sad that uh, post players like him just don't really have a place in the NBA now. And even, like, some of the really good ones, like, <laughs> you think of a guy like Bookie Cousins. He can mm. come in during the regular season and – like win you a game because he posts up eight times against the backup center in the third quarter and your team goes on a big run and that kind of flips it. But then even then, by the time the playoffs start, uh, it becomes so much more tricky to, to use a guy like that. It's really sad to me. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans... Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I brought up this guy, and I wanted to ask you a question or two about him uh, before we, we run away today. But Wenbinyama, uh, Victor Wenbinyama, who is kind of like already being talked about as the prize of uh, the 2023 NBA draft, um... I'm just curious, like, when did he first get on your radar? Uh, when did he first kind of start garnering this hype as a prospect? What do we need to know about him? And do you expect, like, an absolute crazy tank off for him specifically? Yeah, uh, I mean, this is going to be something that we're going to talk about for the next year. Um, I mean, I would say, uh, you know, he he was put on my radar. I mean, I got to give props Um you know, that Jonathan Gavoni, I think, was the first person who wrote something about him. Like, mm-hmm. I guess that was probably like two years ago or 18 months ago. I don't remember when, um, you know, but ESPN, they were, they were at the, you know, the sort of the front of that, um, mm-hmm. the guy that did it first. And so, uh, you know, his star has really grown in that time. Um, 
you know, I've watched play, uh, watch him play a lot on, on tape. Um, it's been a really long time. I was talking to this about uh, with someone in the NBA uh, friend recently. It's like, when was the last time there was like really truly like a unanimous number one pick uh, this early, like in the NBA uh, circles. And this is no offense to Scoot Henderson, but it's, I mean, right now it's, it's pretty clearly Victor, um, you know, as long as he's healthy and comes into the draft with no uh, significant changes in trajectory. I mean, I mean, this guy is, is so unique and I'm really excited. You know, I'm, I'm hoping to go over there and see him play this season. Um, but, uh, you know, I think he's listed at seven, three, uh, he, he's so long. I mean, he covers, I don't know. You probably haven't watched him. I'm excited to get your takes from when you actually watch him, but just like he covers so much area defensively, um, both, you know, he can get out onto shooters. He can retreat and like pursue. So it's like the way I kind of explain it, it's like a 360 degree, like bubble that he covers in terms of like vertical horizontal, just like sucks up space. And it's, it's like nothing I've seen uh and as long as i've been doing this and so uh offensively too you know he flashes he's, you know he can shoot he's adding stuff off the dribble um you know at his size i'm still i don't have a clear grasp on like how functional he's going to be as like a throw the ball to him type guy yet um but there's certainly the upside for that to be part of his game uh so i mean yeah i mean it's just like total like we said before like the best players in the nba always break convention in some way and i mean he might break it like all over um so uh, you know, someone I'm very excited to watch more of this season. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think, look, you, we're going to see, I think, a lot of teams after 20 games, things aren't going the way you expect it. You're going to see some stealthy tanking, I think, take place. Um, and, again, it's hard to tank, and we always, you know, talk about the merits of, of that. But, no, I mean, like, this is this is the type of year where, uh, yeah, you have him, and then you have a number two guy in Scoot Henderson, who at least is a also a really good player, a good prospect in his own right. Um, I think this year's lottery, I think everyone is hoping at this stage that it's going to be a little bit deeper. And I, I have yeah. my first, I have my first, um, draft board for next year coming out, uh, in the next, uh, few days. So, you know, we'll, we'll oh, see there that, we go. uh, you know, we'll learn more, uh, it's still really, really early, but, but we know for sure. I think that I mean, if not, as long as nothing crazy happens, I mean, when is going to be the guy that everybody wants and we're going to hear a lot about him. So when you see a guy like when do you, so I feel like at some point we have to see the effect of the way the NBA is going into lower levels of basketball, right? Because people aren't raising post scores anymore. As we mentioned, if you had a prospect like Shaq, you wouldn't uh, only throw him the ball 50 times in the post anymore because, you know, people who want to make the NBA are ultimately realizing that's not the skill they're going to need to succeed at the highest level. So when you see a guy like Wynn Banyama, you mentioned 7-3, can cover all this ground, um, maybe he's not a polished scorer yet, but I think it's fair to say he plays, <laughs> this is me talking about the YouTube highlights I've seen, offensively he still plays a little bit more like a wing than a quote-unquote NBA center, or at least what our old definition of an NBA center used to be. So when you see someone like Wynn Banyama, do you feel like, he is unique, one of a kind, or do you feel like he's maybe first in a wave of are we gonna see, are we gonna start to see a lot more prospects like that, seven footers who are being asked to play like a wing? Like when when do you think we might start to see that kind of landscape shift, or is it still gonna take a really long time? Yeah, I mean, I'd say yes and no. Like, I don't think we can assume we're gonna see another one of him for a long time, uh, if ever. Um, just with his his proportions and whatever, like. Look, I mean, I think he's going to have, like, 
you know, best case scenario, he can be like a Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett type of like centerpiece. Um, uh, you know, that era, you know, those guys were in at their primes, you know, really mobile and could do so much stuff and on contributed on both ends. And like, you know, that's, I think what you're hoping he's going to be, but uh, I do think that, you know, to your, your question about the trend, there definitely is the trend towards, you know, we are seeing these bigger, uh, you know, players with more ball skills. It's the size scale combo, because I think, uh, you know, by and large, the development system is at least started to catch on to this where, again, a lot of the best players we're seeing in the, in the NBA right now are from, are not, you know, not born in the U S and, you know, developed elsewhere. And, you know, Giannis and Jokic and, you know, Luca, and these guys are all really big guys who are really skilled. And, but I, but I think we've kind of, you know, caught on to that need for, you know, skill development and bigs. Right. So, um, you know, you could look at this year's draft. I mean, Bankero and Holmgren and, and Smith are all, you know, really, you know, they're all 6'10 and up and, uh, you know, do have, you know, varying, you know, various skills that are wouldn't necessarily associate with players that size, right? So it is a way of where I think it's it's a good a good thing for the game that we are seeing these guys come around. I think that will continue. Um, but will we see, you know, a seven-footer like Victor – uh, with you know the type of length and mobility and instincts that he has, uh, probably not. You know that's, that's that's part of what's so exciting about him, right? So, um, but I think that's where the game is going, and um, you know we'll we'll see we'll see this happen, and it's going to be really interesting because you know I always said like I thought it'd be interesting. You know, years ago I was saying you know it'd be cool to just have a lineup of like five, six, eight guys and just be able of to course, play, yeah, right? basically what the Clippers are trying to do, right? This and, and so now teams are actually trying that now. Yeah, it's cool. Um, but you still have to have guys. It's, it's less about size and it's more about skill sets, right? So it's like, how do these skill sets fit together? Um, and yeah, we're just seeing these different skill sets emerging in the, you know, different types of athletes. Um, we will want to get you out of here. This is a question that Chris, Mike, and I talked about, I think on our post finals pod, we have, you know, we have not, we still have to figure out what we're going to do with the top 100 this season. Oh yeah, um, we, we do have to do that. It's coming around the corner, um, but I wanted to ask you uh, because this is so embarrassing that Mike and I like actually we had not seen each other in years. He just had a child, and immediately we started talking about these basketball things. But we started talking about the top 100 a little bit. Um, I'm realizing now that this might be the most difficult year since Sports Illustrated has started this uh, project to figure out who's going to be number one. Do you have a clear idea in, in your head who's going to be number one? You don't have to say it right now, but if I asked you to make the list right now, do you know for sure who would be number one on your list? Um, no, I don't think I've landed at one. Like, I actually drafted a list like last month because I was bored um, <laughs> just to like have something to look at. Mm-hmm. But yeah, number one, I like that's something I would need to like discuss with you guys. Like, I don't, I don't really have a, a firm opinion on it because last year it felt like, oh, KD for sure, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that was the right answer. Um, yeah. But Chris Herring likes to remind us often that it was not. <laughs> I I still think it was, but <laughs> I do think uh, I do as well. But yeah, frankly, I mean, you know, it's tough. I mean, you can argue for these guys. I mean, Giannis is so consistent. Um, I don't think it can be KD now because we don't know if, where or if he's going to play or how much. So, like, I think that's going to kind of, in my mind, preclude him from being one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's Giannis, and I guess you could argue for Luca and. Uh, you could argue There's, for Jokic, obviously. Yeah. I don't know if we can put a center at number one, but yeah. you could argue for him. Um, and there's Embiid, who I don't think I would say is one. Um, 
and then who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting some other people too. I mean, I mean, really yeah, I mean, it's just weird because LeBron and Kawhi are out there, but I don't think either of them you could put it one. No, I don't think either either one. Like Kawhi coming if, off injury, yeah. it can't. I think if we put Jokic at one, um, I don't. I honestly think there'd be riots. There'd be something going on in the street. Could is there an argument for Steph Curry at number one? Oh, that's who I forgot. Yes, Damn. yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, they just won the title, um, but we have to project forward, right? So it's it's tricky. Um, that's a discussion that I don't know when we're going to have, and I might be <laughs> I might be uh, on vacation in another country while we're having it, so I don't know how much I will be plugged into this. But uh, like I said, we're all kind of yeah. – this is going to be a tough year. To, we had to yeah. figure out how we're going to do this. We should talk I'm, this. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for Mike and Chris to return from their respective vacations so that we can discuss it. I hope – Mike gets some of the takes that he had uh, when I saw him in person off his chest. I know I keep bringing it up, but I was appalled at some of the things this guy was saying. Um, we do need to start getting uh, his son some Miami Heat gear, though. But, Wu, that will do it for today's episode of Open Floor. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. When's your big board coming out? I want to make sure we direct um, people to it. I think it will be, as of now, it is scheduled for next week. Okay. Um, I don't know which day of the week we landed on, but it will be next week. All right. Please keep an eye out for Jeremy Wu's uh, 2023 NBA draft. Big board, please keep your emails coming. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Uh, thank you again uh, to all our listeners, all our emailers sticking with us this summer through just a variety of hosts and guest hosts. Um, it's been fun for me. I hope it's still been interesting for you guys. Uh, That'll do it, though. Until the next episode, please continue to enjoy the NBA offseason. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Hi, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. The Nikki Glazer Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.